The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guest, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. This past week, we had a priest friend and his wife visiting from South Dakota, and it was a wonderful opportunity for us to reacquaint ourselves with all the things that were going on in our former diocese, that's sometimes referred to as gossip. <laughs> but we all, it was great to catch up with them, find out what was happening. And one of the things that I've come to appreciate when having guests, uh, house guests, is the, the fact that we live in an area that's so rich in terms of being able to entertain people with short trips. So one of the things that we decided to do was to go over to the uh, Museum of Russian Icons in Clinton. And I know some of you have been there because the CEO and curator had told us that some of our parishioners had been there. So it's a wonderful place. It was uh, really the uh, result of a hobby of a man by the name of Gordon Langton, uh, a very successful plastics manufacturer. I think he started collecting icons and realized that as he did, he was growing in his faith. He was learning a lot about the Russian Orthodox Church, but he also realized that he needed a place to share these icons with others. 
So I think he has more than 300 icons in, on three levels in this beautifully restored building that, by the way, is also uh, a great example of uh, building green. It's a wonderful place. Uh, Gordon Langton, in fact, was there when we were visiting, so we had a chance to speak with him. And I would urge you to go over there sometime. Uh, there are beautiful icons dating from 1450. But also, you might find yourself surprised to have a guided tour by Gordon himself. It's a wonderful uh, place to visit. Well, I mention this in light of today's gospel because one of the things that I noticed as I was going through the museum was that there were many icons devoted to John the Baptist. And I hadn't realized that John, John the Baptist was so important in the Orthodox tradition. And as you might guess, having just heard this gospel lesson, these icons were not for the faint of heart. Almost all of them depicted John's head on a platter. Now, as an aside, I will also mention that John is known as the angel of the desert. So you will see in many icons that John is depicted with wings. But it is this account of the execution of John that I want us to focus on. And it was so dramatically told, I think, in today's gospel and depicted in those icons. I think it's important for us to go deeper into this story, to recall some of the important aspects of it, so we can connect with it a bit better. First of all, we recall that Herod Antipas was married to his brother's wife, Herodias. And John was incensed by that and repeatedly told Herod that it was unlawful according to the Jewish law. And Herod, being a Jew, had a responsibility to that law. So uh, one can imagine that John was a bit of a thorn in the side. And the one who really was upset with John was Herodias. She, was, she despised the man from what we can gather from the reading. She was infuriated and was looking for an opportunity to get John. Herod actually seemed to be intrigued by what John was preaching. One can imagine that, uh, you know, if you see some of these uh, present-day evangelists, some of them are really just fun to watch. And I think that that may have been a bit of the intrigue that Herod had for John the Baptist. John was unusual. He was seen as a prophet. But he also saw him as a righteous man and understood that he was someone truly special. So Mark puts it this way in talking about Herod. He said he was afraid of John and says, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. Now, the execution of John occurs as a result of really an unfortunate set of circumstances. It's Herod's birthday, and they decide to have a really good party. So they invite all of the elite to one of their palaces. Herodias is there. The commanders are there. Others who are prominent in society are present. And Salome, Herod Herodias' daughter, is also present. And at some point during the festivities, Salome dances for the gathered crowd. And they are so pleased with her dance. And by the way, it's not at all clear from Scripture that this was a seductive dance. And it, it is possible that she, in fact, was perhaps only about 12 years old. But Herod was proud of what this young woman had done. And so he says to her, I will promise you anything, even half of my kingdom. Do you suppose the good wine was starting to talk instead of Herod? <laughs> 
And so, being a young girl, she goes to her mother, seeking counsel, and asks her mother, What should I request of Herod? And her mother says, The head of John. So she goes to Herod and says that she wants the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, one can imagine that Herod is in a terrible spot. Here he is. He had offered her whatever she should ask for. And it's in front of all of these people, some of them his commanders. So if he does not respond and do as he had promised, how can they trust him? And then, of course, one can imagine that there were also those present who wanted to see weakness in Herod and wanted him to trip. Herod had painted himself in a corner. And so he dispatches an executioner. And in time, the executioner comes back and gives Salome the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And it's interesting. She doesn't bring it to Herod. She takes it to her mother, Herodias. Well, it's, a, it's really a tragic account. And one could uh, think about this story and think about how awful things, really tragic things, happen to good people. I was listening to the cathedral uh, sermon this morning at 7.30. It was on a different lesson. But the question that uh, the dean was asking was, where was God's angels when bad things happened to a particular person he was talking about? And one could ask the same question here. Where were God's angels? Where were those who might be able to stand and stop this injustice? But Herod had his way. Mark puts it this way. When Herod heard what was going on, Herod was afraid. Now, all of this had happened before we get the beginning of this passage from the gospel that talks about Herod believing that Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life, raised from the dead. Herod apparently had heard about the ministry of Jesus and of the disciples. And it was something that was beginning to really trouble him. One can imagine he was very troubled by John's ministry because there were thousands who were coming out and it was upsetting the civil order. And his job, above all, was to maintain order for Rome. And now here is Jesus. One can imagine that out of guilt, uh, Herod must have thought, this is John coming back to haunt me. Mark says this, when Herod heard it, that is, when he heard about Jesus and Jesus' ministry, he said, and the better translation of the Greek would be, he kept on saying, something that's ongoing, he kept on saying, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Herod was haunted by the death of John the Baptist. Well, I believe in this account of the execution of John the Baptist, there is a lesson for us who are trying to understand and live as disciples of Jesus Christ. Richard Jensen and Marianne Tolbert uh, have written commentaries that suggest that one way of understanding this, uh, this account of the death of John, and especially the story of Herod, is to look at it through the parable of the sower. And you'll remember in that parable, the sower sows indiscriminately. It's a wonderful image of God, just is throwing seed everywhere. And some of that seed falls on rocky soil. It's shallow and it can't put its roots down very far. The sun withers the, the, the seedling. 
some seed uh, fell on the road, beside the road, and the birds came and they ate the seeds. Other seed fell among the thorns and were choked out by the thorns. And then, of course, some of the seed fell on good soil and it multiplied and the harvest was plentiful. Uh, Jensen and Tolbert suggest that Herod is an example of the seed falling among the thorns. Because Herod had heard the word that was preached by John. Herod had been intrigued by it. Herod was interested in what John was saying. He saw him as a righteous man, as a holy man. But yet there was something that kept Herod from acting on what he heard. The seed did not take root in Herod. Jensen puts it this way. Herod was in a tough spot. He was deeply perplexed, but he sold out. He had made an oath. His guests had heard it. He must keep his word. And so it was that the cares of the world choked out the word he had heard. The seed that John had sown yielded nothing. I don't know about you, but when I read scripture and I read uh, about characters such as Herod, it's so easy for me to dismiss them as simply uh, pure evil, just to set them aside with that kind of a, of a thought. But when I allow myself to really think about the circumstances in which some of these people have found themselves, I find Pilate in a similar way. I wonder if I would have done anything any differently than they did. They were under enormous pressure, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that. They had so many constituencies that they had to be concerned about. And if they failed, if they had a misstep, it could mean their own life. Everything was at stake. And I'm not sure I would have been much different from Herod in any of this. The truth is that the cares of the world can sometimes so easily overpower that seedling of the good news that is within us. I can only speak for myself, but I can think of many, many circumstances over the course of my life when the cares of the world have pressed in on that good news, on what I knew was the right thing to do, but did not do it. It's those, that list that all of us have of the things done and the things that are left undone. I don't know what that list is for you, but I think it's as much a part of our lives as the excitement that we get about the good news. I think that Herod's story reminds us that it's not enough to find this stuff interesting. It's not enough for us to find it intellectually challenging or to find that it feeds us or that it in some way uh, makes us feel good inside. That is not enough. Rather, this is about knowing God and being known by God. It's not just enough to know about Jesus. It's important for us to know Jesus. This is about a relationship. It's about the way we lead our lives, all of our life. It's not just about our head or our heart. It's about how we live. And so, ultimately, I believe that it is about a daily transformation that we must enter into. Because the truth is that we live in a thorny world. And we find it hard 
to live as an incarnation of God's love. We find it hard to be living blessings in this world. But I truly believe that if we offer ourselves, that God will honor that. And that even in our imperfection, God will take this imperfect humanity, which we all share. And out of that shall come good, even in this thorny place. Amen.